This is a 720 to go podcast from Chicago's WGN Radio 720. This podcast is sponsored by ADM. As one of the world's largest agricultural processors, ADM is uniquely positioned to serve the world's growing needs for abundant food and renewable energy. ADM. When it comes to the business of America's farmland, you need the information from the people who know it best. That's why we bring you AgriCast with Orion Samuelson and Max Armstrong. Well, thank you very much, Roger. And yes, getting over my first cold of the season. Normally that happens in January, February. But this year it didn't hit me until about a week ago when we traveled to Wisconsin. But anyway, good morning, Roger. Good morning, world. Again, our weekly visit here on Saturday morning to talk about the world's most basic industry, producing food for the population on this planet. And uh, we do that despite a lot of challenges, including weather. And there are some areas in our listening area this morning that have received some pretty heavy rains overnight. My rain gauge uh, in the backyard here in Huntley, Illinois, uh, got uh, 84 hundredths of an inch yesterday before midnight, and after midnight only 4 hundredths of an inch of rain in that rain gauge. But anyway, this morning uh, Jim Fazell will join us, and the topic will be apples. It's apple picking time, and uh, every year Jim and Jane Fazell make the trip to my home country, the Kickapoo Valley of Wisconsin, to pick apples. We'll talk about that, and then we'll talk about what you do with the apples once you pick them and uh, one more thing before we get started thank you to all of you who have sent emails because thursday i marked my uh, 59th year on the air here at wgn radio in chicago and max armstrong uh, has been part of our team for 42 years and so he took a photograph of the two of us and put it on his Facebook page and I can't get over the amount of attention it got and the amount of emails that uh, rolled in with very kind words. So thank you for all of that. And uh, we're going to talk markets this morning with Joe Camp, who will be with us, and uh, we hope you'll be with us throughout the morning here on Chicago's very own 720 WGN Chicago, and we'll check in with Jim Fazell when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. It's Jim Fazell time. As a matter of fact, it is apple time. Jim Fazell joins us after a visit to apple country in Wisconsin. How did it go, Jim? Well, it was beautiful, and we went up to Apple Country the week following your trip up there in the rain. We had absolutely gorgeous weather. It was heaven on earth up there in Apple Country. Uh, we we drove around quite a bit, actually. We went up as far as Faroqua, not quite up to Westby, where your family is. But uh, we looked at the apple orchards. They're gorgeous. To drive just down through the through the back roads and look at the fields out there full of trees with this beautiful red fruit hanging on it, sight for sore eyes and you know how delicious that stuff's going to be when they pick it off something i did every fall as a kid with the parents we'd go and get our supply of apples for the winter and a lot of apple pies so yeah that's what we're prepared for and that's why we go up that far to do it um 
but you know we we did had had to get apples so uh we visited a couple of places up there but we always go to sunrise orchards in uh in gays mills that's where we get our apples they know us and we know them and uh, we're pretty sure we know what's going to be uh available at the time and you know the apples are ready right now um How's the crop? Well, I talked to several people, including uh, Kurt Tidy from over in uh, Eau Claire, Michigan, and to the folks at Sunrise. Interesting crop. It varies from good to light, depending on the variety. Some varieties, there are no crops, and that's because uh, some of these varieties are a little more tender. And actually, that terribly cold weather we had, 25, 28 below zero, killed the flower buds on some kinds. Now, there was another thing that happened later in the season. Uh, We had uh, a lot of rain, a lot of inclement weather when some of the varieties were blooming. So some of these varieties were not well pollinated. When that happens, you may get misripened or misshapen fruit, might be a little flat on one side or, or might be a little bit smaller. But the stuff that was properly pollinated, the, pro- the stuff that didn't have winter damage is absolutely gorgeous. It's one of the best crops we've seen. A lot of large-sized fruit. Um, some some varieties are much much better than others uh, because the timing has been funny. Uh, it's interesting too. We usually look for one particular variety up there, Honeycrisp. And uh, last year we were up there, there was no Honeycrisp, but we were too early. This year it's been in for two weeks already, <laughs> the same time of year. So it's very interesting what the season has done. Incidentally, Kurt Tidy said that the season has uh, started a little bit early. And it's going very quickly for some reason. So if you have particular varieties that you want, you're going to go out and pick apples, you need to call ahead and make sure that they still have them and that they're picking. Well, some of the things that we that we can pick, the early varieties are the ones that come in in September, and they're all in, uh, still, still some of them available, especially if you go to a place where they've already picked. But the Galas, uh, the Jonamax, Paula Reds, those are ready. The ones that are uh, at full peak right now, and and uh, the one that we look for, of course, is Honeycrisp. It's in full production now. But we like to get Cortland's for, for pies. Uh, Macintosh Ozark Gold are in. If you're looking for the Red Delicious, incidentally, Red Delicious is an excellent variety. Most people get dissuaded about growing it because they buy stuff that's been stored. They don't store well. And if you get the ones that have been stored for a long time, it's like, like uh, cardboard with a skin. But if you get... Brand new picked Red Delicious apples, they're great. Now, if you're interested in the green apple that everybody likes for pies, that's Granny Smith, and that will not be in until the end of this month, or excuse me, the end of October. It's a late variety. Uh, there are a lot of people that still grow it. The, this, the, the disadvantage of that is that it is so late, and in some areas, if we have an early fall or early freeze, uh, some of them actually fall off the tree if they don't get them picked. And as I said before, you want to call ahead to make sure the farm that you're going to pick from or where you're going to go get apples has the variety you want. Um, They may not have any of those this year because of the the winter damage, or they may be already picked, or they may not be in yet. Uh, The kinds that you want for for fresh eating would be the the ones like Gala, Mutsu, Honeycrisp, uh, Empire, and Fuji. Those are ones for fresh eating. They don't necessarily make good pies, but they're excellent for uh, just pull them off, uh, pull them out of the fridge, and and cut them up and eat them. Put them in salads and so forth. 
Now, for pies, there are certain kinds that you want. You want ones that uh, don't get mushy but don't stay too hard. It's one of the complaints people have about Granny Smith is that it doesn't doesn't get soft. Uh, the one we found, the two that we found actually are the Cortland, which is an old time New York variety, and Macintosh, another real old variety. Nothing beats them for pies. Um, Stamen Wine Sap is another one, and Wealthy is another one that people will will use for pies. Um, one of the things you might do is try several varieties uh, for yourself, and then. Sometimes mixing the varieties for pie makes a very interesting taste and feet, uh, and texture that you won't get from a single variety. Uh, where do you get them? Well, the orchards and the pick-your-own farms are in full production right now. You can find ads in the paper for various places. Actually, the ones that we've been to in the past and are always good would be like All Season in Woodstock, Royal Oak, Harvard, uh, Kuipers in Maple Park, or Honey Hill over in Waterman. Um, and if you're interested and haven't done this before, check with the Farm Bureau in your county because they generally have lists of who the orchards are, whether they allow picking, uh, whether they have uh, fruit on the farm or not. If you're going out of state, the Tidy Farms and Tremendous Fruit Farms over in Michigan. Of course, the Teichman family, those have been friends of ours here at WGN for many, many years. Uh, Tremendous Fruit Farm is a very interesting place. Uh, they are pick, they have pick your own, and you can can already pick there if you want to. Uh, we do go to Sun, Sunride Orchards up in uh, Gaze Mills, Wisconsin, every year. Uh, it's a wonderful place to go. It's quite a drive to get up there, but it's a gorgeous country up there and on the way. Uh, farmers markets and roadside side stands at the orchards uh, have uh, have fruit as well. Uh, the local community farmers markets, the ones that we have here in the Chicago land area. <clears throat> The farmers from Indiana, Michigan, and Wisconsin bring their best of their crops in. Those are picked fresh and brought in. So you can get stuff there that's just about as good as you're going to get any place. Uh, prices, uh, they're a little higher this year for some varieties. Um, normally about the same as what they've been in the past. Uh, the quality, as I said, is excellent. Now, just one thing I want to mention. Folks, uh, when they get good apples, they say, well, we'll grow our own. <clears throat> If you're going to do that, you need to plan now because you're going to need to plant in the spring. Um, there are a bunch of books out. In fact, our Midwest Root and Vegetable books, which are still around, you give a whole list of things and how you do that. You want to grow full dwarfs. Don't, don't uh, buy anything that you don't absolutely know it has a full dwarfing rootstock on it. Allow plenty of room because you need to get to all sides of them for, for picking and for care. Uh, limit the number of varieties. You only you only want to grow one or two varieties if you're going to grow it yourself. Uh, and keep in mind that some of these varieties require cross-pollination, so you're going to have to have another variety to pollinate the one that you're growing. Plan on spraying. You cannot grow apples in this part of the country without some kind of pest control. And the last thing I want to mention about that is it's a many-year many commitment. You don't want to do it if you're unsure. If you think, well, you know, it might be an awful lot of work, you're right. It will. So unless you're prepared to do that, don't even get into it. Anyway, get out and enjoy this absolutely spectacular weather. little rain this weekend. Going to be a nice warm week this coming week. When you get your apples, make an apple pie and call Orion and me. We'll be, be ready to come in when it's ready. <laughs> Anytime, because it's one of my favorites, and my mother baked a tremendous apple pie, so... Uh... I grew up as a kid on apple pie and then later developed a taste for cherry pie as well. And uh, I would say those are my two favorites. Well, you, you've got company there. You bet. Okay. <laughs> so what will we talk about next week, my friend? 
Well, you know, it's getting to that time. It's going to be October, and we're going to have to start bringing plants in if we're going to bring stuff in for the wintertime. And we need to talk about record-keeping, journaling. I know a lot of people cringe. It's not hard to do, but we do need to talk about it. So we'll do that next week when we check in again with our specialists in ornamental horticulture for four decades at least. Jim Fazell here on the Saturday Morning Show. We're at 24 minutes after 5 o'clock and uh, scattered showers in the area and there will be rain again today. And uh, heavy rains, downpours that have been the um, really kind of rainfall that we've gotten so far this crop year. And it really dumped some heavy rains in parts of the Midwest, not too far from Chicago. Four, five, six inches of rain falling at one to two inches uh, an hour. And that's creating flooding problems. Some roads closed because of flooding. So uh, be careful out there when you're driving. And talking about driving, uh, we, of course, uh, just talked to Jim about his driving trip to the Kickapoo Valley of western Wisconsin, towns like Gaze Mills and Reedstown and Viola and uh, Soldiers Grove, all up in the Kickapoo Valley area. And uh, you do have the opportunity this week, well, on Sunday, tomorrow to uh, actually spend some time on a farm in McHenry County. For several years now, McHenry County Farm Bureau has put together a Sunday program called the McHenry County Farm Stroll. That will take place tomorrow, the 29th, beginning at 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., It's a self-guided tour of McHenry County's diversified family farms. There's no beginning or end of the tour. Just pick the farms you wish to visit and go during the strolls time frame. Don't bring pets with you to the farms that you're going to be visiting. No charge for the farm stroll. However, you may want to bring some cash because individual farmers will be selling products and produce. Some farms will conduct tours and demonstrations and follow the farmer instructions, respect the animals, and by all means, watch your children and wash your hands after exposure to livestock. So uh, they have a couple of long website names, but I'll just tell you, go on the the website uh, for McHenry County Farm Bureau, and you'll find the list of farms. They've added four new farms to the list this year, and uh, I've I've participated in it over the years, have talked to many people who do, and it's a good way to spend a Sunday in late fall or early fall uh, just going out to see how farmers care for animals and how farmers work hard against weather and everything else to put food on your dinner table. Oh, and clothes on your back. Oh, and a roof over your head. And now energy in your tank. So that's tomorrow. McHenry County Farm Tour, or Farm Stroll, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. tomorrow.
There's one other event this weekend that I have attended for the last uh, decade or so, but not going to be able to make it this year because of commitments on my schedule. And that's out in Arizona. As you know, I do, uh, my wife, Gloria, and I do spend some time in Arizona throughout the year. We're not snowbirds, but we go back and forth. But uh, today... In uh, Peoples Valley, Arizona, that's about a 100 miles north of Phoenix, the uh, Yavapai County Cattlemen's Association will hold its 87th annual calf sale and barbecue. That's a day-long event. I call it a mini-county fair, but it's a fun time because yesterday about noon, they buried uh, clods of beef, as they call it, in a six-foot-deep pit with charcoal flaming in the bottom. And uh, at noon today, they'll open that pit, take out the beef clods, and uh, serve them to probably about 1,200 people or so who turned out for the event. It's the 87th time that they have done this, and uh, we're sorry to miss it this year, but I know it will go well. And uh, on the calendar, uh, as uh, Jim Fazell mentioned, apple picking time and uh, here in the Midwest and uh, just a lot of things to do and enjoy. And farmers markets are still underway. As a matter of fact, uh, here in Huntley, Illinois, we not only do farmers market during the growing season, but there is also an indoor farmers market once the growing season is over and the weather turns more like winter than fall or summer and uh, so go out to a farmer's market and uh, enjoy some of the fresh produce and uh, all of the other activities that they have at farmer's markets in well downtown chicago and in uh, rural communities around the midwest so anyway a lot going on and uh, we're going to talk markets and uh Samuelson says today, uh, I'm sure will upset some people, but I'm going to be talking about impeachment talk and what I don't like about impeachment, regardless of who is being impeached or charged with it. And uh, what I don't like about that, that will be my subject this morning on Samuelson Says. At 25 minutes before 6 o'clock, and that's when Roger will come back in and update us on what's happening in the world this morning. Meanwhile, between now and 6 o'clock, we'll be talking markets with Joe Camp of AgriVisor. He's based in Bloomington, Illinois, and uh, he'll be sitting down with Max Armstrong in a few minutes to talk about this complicated world of markets for agriculture and agricultural products. But right now, time for Samuelson Says. I'm Orion, and the word this week is impeachment. The word is impeachment. Regardless of people or party, it is a word that really troubles me. Because I firmly believe that as citizens of the United States, we should do our impeaching on election day to vote for the candidate of our choice, our right as U.S. citizens. But now when you're dealing with impeachment, the entire picture changes. And it's not pleasant. During my lifetime, I have witnessed two presidential changes while in office, one by assassination, one by resignation. 
I have witnessed an impeachment trial against Bill Clinton, and now we are talking about impeachment of Donald Trump. And here's what troubles me. I don't like the fact that my vote, and I'll not tell you who I voted for in the last election, but I do not like the fact that my vote will now go to 435 people in Congress. Do your impeaching on election day and not through other means as that takes my right as a citizen away from me and frankly i don't trust the 435 members of congress that so far have proven to me that they are not capable of doing much of anything positive in the way of legislation in our nation's capital i don't feel good at all about turning my vote over to them I would like to see term limits for members of Congress, as I've said many times before, two four-year terms for the House, two six-year terms for the Senate. I feel that Mitch McConnell has been ruling the Senate for too long, Nancy Pelosi ruling the House for too long, and it's time to make some changes and get some balance back in Congress. Term limits will never get through Congress, but I would certainly like to see them. In the meantime, let's get back to doing our impeaching on the election day. My thoughts on Samuelson Says. A presentation of Nexstar Radio Network here on WGN Radio Chicago. And as we said, Max Armstrong standing by with Joe Camp, and uh, we'll be joining him when we continue here on the Saturday Morning Show. Joe Camp from AgriVisor joining us in the studio this weekend. Good to see you, sir. Good day, Max. I, I, I don't see helmet hair, so I don't think you rode the motorcycle, but you did take a, a quite a few days out on the bike this summer to check on crops, didn't you? That's right. Four wheels on the road this morning, but I had a two-wheel trip two weeks. I touched... 10 states, starting in Illinois and moving east into the ravaged area of the northeast Corn Belt. And we came back into Illinois, up into Wisconsin, Iowa, down into Missouri, even poking into Nebraska, on back into Illinois. So I got a good look at the central Midwest this summer. What stands out in your mind, in retrospect, looking back at that, uh, as you know, you continue to, to hear from growers what's going on, and as we look at weekly crop bulletins, what stands out? Two things. One is the variability of this crop. We've heard that term bouncing around a lot lately, but it's a stark contrast to the previous two years when consistency was the name of the game, and it was that consistency across the Corn Belt that in 2017 and 2018 allowed U.S. producers to achieve record national yield averages for the corn crop. That's one thing, the variability. Of course, the eastern Corn Belt, very different than the west, and then even in the western Corn Belt where there's some good good crops, uh, we're seeing the variability across you know two sides of the same road. So variability for one. The next thing is that even good corn looked good, but I had this feeling, uh, uh, riding many miles afterwards, thinking to myself, the corn that looks good looks good for a month ago. And that just goes to show you how delayed this crop is. That has been the lingering uh, impression that we've had, even in the recent days, you know, when you drive by some of the fields, as we are starting to see some harvesting going on. What kind of reports are coming in from the combine cab to you in these these early uh, field openings that have taken place? And some have really gotten into the harvest in earnest in, in a few locations. What are you hearing? 
Unfortunately, some disappointment. Now, we'll say it's very early yet. Right. We, we, we talk about in Illinois the crop uh, being less than 5% harvested, but we're starting to get more indication of what's out there and what isn't. We should see, uh, for the most part, some of these early yields translated to some silage cutting. Uh, but once we get into some of the better crops, uh, hopefully we see an improvement in these yields. But the early going, uh, some disappointment there, even relative to expectations, which were tempered this year coming into harvest. Is it likely, though, that yields will get better as this harvest goes on? Some of us are wondering about that. It seems to be the adage of big crops getting bigger also applies and vice versa. That is that small crops get smaller from the sense that in September, we saw the USDA analysts start to move lower on their corn yield estimate. The same thing for soybeans. We feel like that's a trend we might continue to see. We're not going to see drastic reductions, we don't believe. Nothing like we feared early in this season. But we can see a downward trend uh, for these USDA yield estimates as we start to get in the field and realize that the variability just won't allow us to have uh, quite the trend-beating crop that we've enjoyed in the previous couple of summers. These warm days of September sure have been welcome, haven't they? Yeah, we look at the two-week outlook, and it looks as if this uh, prolonged summer will continue, but it's biased Towards the eastern Corn Belt, we do see up in the northwest some areas of concern for that early frost freeze threat. We know there's several million acres at risk, corn not having reached maturity yet. And so if we get into this weekend and start to see some uh, sub-30 degree temperatures in states like Minnesota or North Dakota, we're going to be back to thinking about just how early this uh, harvest could, could end for us. We've seen in recent days very little movement in prices. What's it going to take? I mean, is even a frost scare going to light up this market at all? Not just yet, I don't believe. That might help uh, encourage the bulls to do some buying, but it's wait and see for all traders, whether you're bullish or bearish. The speculators aren't willing to take a big position on a directional bet one way or the other, and the farmer not having any interest in selling at these levels and so not being a big market participant. With that being the case, what we'd expect is that we can uh, have a trade that stays somewhat stagnant until we get fresh data. The first opportunity for that would be Monday when we have a grain stocks report, small grain summary, and also a chance for the USDA to update its production estimate for the soybean crop last year. So data would help. That would follow up with uh, the next October report. We would expect big revisions to acreage. And then other than that, I mean, that's the supply side. We're just simply waiting on a more harvest results. On the demand side, waiting for progress on these uh, mini trade deals still open, particularly, of course, U.S.-China. Back to that October crop report. In that October crop report, do you expect to see significant acreage revisions? We better. <laughs> I would sure expect so because USDA coming in August and leaving it in September, the harvested acres as a percentage of planted, 91.1%. Uh, That's a normal year. Let's, let's use some discretion here and start to pick away at the harvested acres, knowing that we're going to have failed acres, that we're going to have to take out uh, ample uh, corn that, uh, that was planted for silage and just generally cover crops for both corn and soybeans. Remember, the government allowed those um, uh, to, to be planted this year. On that demand side, we have seen some China soybean purchases. Uh, is this what they promised to buy, what we were told they would be buying uh, many months ago? 
so far they are living up to their most recent promise, which was to do some buying in front of the next round of face-to-face negotiations that will take place in early October. They have an estimated buying interest of about 6 million tons here, maybe even up to 10 million uh, before this uh, next meeting or during these negotiations. And we have seen those sales, as you mentioned here in the recent days, starting to stack up uh, finally to to what was committed to a couple of weeks ago. So we're seeing some trade negotiating progress. We got the word of uh, the deal with Japan this week. Of course, they are a very good customer. They have been year in and year out. I think we are the uh, the top soybean supplier for them, supplying about two-thirds of what they buy from the world. Uh, do these tend to uh, encourage, you think, a positive outcome of the, the Chinese talks? They may, but whether we're talking about U.S.-Japan or even USMCA, NAFTA 2.0, we've still got to get these deals to the finish line. We continue to see announcements that a deal is, is, is agreed to. But you have to put it into effect. You have to implement it. And to do that, we have to get it through our legislators, starting with USMCA. But the same considerations can be made for China, for Japan, and, and, and for other countries that we'll be looking to uh, renew our deals with. The fact that we've got to put it to the finish line, and that takes a, a coordinated effort, not just uh, by the president's administration, but, of course, by Congress, too. You talked a little bit earlier uh, about the exports and the, some of the purchases taking place. Uh, we've seen a stronger dollar of late, and that doesn't help, does it? No, not at all. The dollar is a safe haven play for investors that are skittish because of things like Brexit going on. So uh, coming out of the euro and the pound currencies and into the dollar uh, for a flight to quality type move. And you also have the dollar rising because short-term treasury rates, interest rates are firmer, also a safe haven play. When you've got uncertainty investors do around the world, they're going to come into the U.S. market and want to pick up U.S. bonds and other U.S. investments. Well, they need dollars to do that. The dollar has been rising towards multi-year highs, and that hurts exports, makes our grain more expensive to world buyers, especially when you have our dollar moving higher, not only against the currencies in the hands of our customers, but in the hands of our competitors, too. So we look at the South American currencies, the Brazilian real, the Argentine peso, they're at multi-year lows. That makes their goods less expensive to the global buyers and crowds our exporters out of the market, unfortunately. Judging by your response a little bit earlier, when I asked you about acreage and, a, and an adjustment in October, um, I sense that you share the view of a lot of farmers about how USDA has handled numbers this year. Number one, has there been irreparable damage done to the uh, the image of USDA with its reports? And number two, does it matter? I believe there has been damage, and yes, there was frustration. Whether or not it matters, we'll have to see if there can be any change carried out uh, in the wake of what was a, almost, I'd call it, a calamity this year, with, starting with that August report. I know it's an unprecedented year, so we have to cut some slack to the government analysts, but we know they used discretion to, to, to release these numbers, and they had room, uh, in my mind, uh, to leave the corn yield unchanged, for example, coming into that August report given the fact that they had come into this year saying that even in a normal year, we're not going to put our crop scouts out in the field until September because it's just too early in August to tell. Well, was it too early to to tell in in this August? I'd say absolutely so. 
And, and to some argument, it's that, okay, it's only the output of our farmer surveys and our, our weather-adjusted trend models. That's fine, but I'd say look at the soybean number, which uh, came into August unchanged. Did those producer surveys and the weather-adjusted trend produce the exact same uh, 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 soybean bushel to, to the tenth of a, a bushel, or, or did they use their discretion to leave it unchanged, and, and should they have done that with corn? Yes. And then on the acres side, not necessarily the acres as a whole, which the FSA has since, you know, for the most part proven, uh, but the harvested acres as a percentage of the total uh, was just, uh, um, you know, hard to reconcile for us. You think USDA will be sensitive to this? Do you think they will listen? You know, they, they routinely, I guess, have a users conference where they they ask for input. Um, but what's your sense about this? Uh, obviously, it's their numbers that matter. No matter how much the private trade, how much you analysts want to come out with, mm-hmm. with your own estimates, it's USDA numbers that really matter at the end of the day. I think so. I think they're working to increase transparency. We saw that there was a supplemental report following right. the August numbers that sort of trued up uh, what was coming from the FSA with those NAS numbers. And that's the effort that we need is just to push towards greater transparency in the methodology used for those reports. Joe, it's good to see you. Thanks for coming in. Thanks so much. Joe Camp with AgriVisor. We're at uh, four and a half minutes before news time here on WGN Radio Chicago. Showers in the area, and uh, they'll be around for a while this weekend. That means flooding along some of those rivers that uh, actually shutting down roads this morning, as you heard from Roger a little bit earlier. Max and Joe Camp were talking uh, yields and what we might expect as we get into harvest time. And a report this week took a look at some yield comparisons on early harvested fields. For example, near Decatur, Illinois, a field of corn on corn made 170 bushels per acre, compared to 241 bushels per acre last year. And uh, Marshall County in north-central Illinois, 105-day corn planted April 25th, made 200 bushels per acre at 24% moisture. And uh, last year, that same field made 250 bushels. Reports from Iowa also. uh, Northwestern Iowa corn planted on April 20th was cut for silage. Estimates were 270 bushels, but it was adjusted down to 210 bushels per acre, 60 worse than expected. And reports from Indiana as well that uh, the yields so far in the early harvest have not come uh, close to last year's yields on the same acreage. Now, how's this for a headline? Snow will stall wheat and canola harvest in Canada and Montana. A weekend storm poised to bring more than a foot of snow to parts of Montana and the Canadian prairies, putting portions of the region's spring wheat and canola crops at risk. Excessively wet conditions in the region this month have already slowed field work and hurt spring wheat quality on both sides of the border. But this storm, expected to fall from tonight through Monday, could uh, dump 4 to 12 inches broadly across southern Alberta and southwest Saskatchewan and a few areas close to the U.S. border likely to receive 18 inches through Monday. 
and the meteorologist said we're thinking about 10 to 15 percent of the Canadian spring wheat and canola is at risk to see 5 to 10 percent losses due to lodging from the snow. Montana spring wheat harvest was 85 percent complete by uh, September 22nd, according to USDA. So we're going to keep an eye on that. We'll also keep an eye on trade negotiations. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, said late this past week, it uh, the House is proceeding with work on the trade agreement with Mexico and Canada. And uh, Speaker Pelosi said, The uh, hope is that we'll get the United States-Mexico-Canada agreement passed into law, but that will take a vote by the House, and they're busy doing other things right now. I'll not hold my breath waiting for that one. And uh, while Beijing has said they'll buy more soybeans, uh, they are doing it, probably not as much as traders or farmers would like, But again, we did see some uh, pretty good sales this week. Uh, We ended the week yesterday with 126,000 tons of soybeans to China. The day before, 257,000 tons of soybeans to China. And on September 25th, 581,000 tons of soybeans also to China. So a lot to keep an eye on before the trade talks with China get underway October 10 and 11 in Washington, D.C. Certainly enough going on, certainly enough to talk about, and we thank you for listening. My thanks, as always, to Bob Ferguson, our engineer, who does all the hard work on this hour. And uh, thanks to you for listening, and we'll hope to see you again next week, same time, here on Chicago's very own 720 WGN Radio, where it's 6 o'clock. Orion Samuelson keeps you connected to the world of business and agriculture on WGN. Hear his reports weekday mornings on the Steve Cochran Show and during the noon hour on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Plus, catch Orion and Max on Saturday mornings at 5 a.m. only on Chicago's WGN Radio 720.